Chapter 49, Part 1 of The Children of the Abbey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The Children of the Abbey by Regina Maria Roche. Chapter 49, Part 1. It would raise your pity but to see the tears Force through her snowy lids their melting course To lodge themselves on her red murmuring lips That talk such mournful things when straight a gale Of starting sighs carry those pearls away As dews by winds are wafted from the flowers. Lee Bitterly did Amanda regret having been tempted from the inn and gratefully would she have acquitted fortune of half its malignancy to her, had she been able to steal back unnoticed. The party that entered engaged in talking to those they found in the drawing-room, laughing and describing their ramble, which Lady Araminta said was in the style of Will-o'-the-Wisp, over brakes and through briars, was some time before they observed Amanda, but soon, ah, how much too soon did she perceive Mrs. McQueen approaching to introduce those of her family who were just returned. The trying moment is come, cried Amanda. Oh, let me not by my confusion look as if I really was the guilty thing I'm supposed to be. She endeavoured to collect herself and rose to meet the young McQueens by a timid glance perceiving that they yet hid her from the eyes she most dreaded to encounter. She was unable, however, to return their compliments except by a faint smile, and was again sinking upon her seat, for her frame trembled universally. When Mrs. McQueen, taking her hand, led her forward and presented her to Lady Martha and Lady Araminta Dormer. It may be remembered that Lady Martha had never before seen Amanda. She therefore gave her, as Miss Donald, a benignant smile, which, had she supposed her Miss Fitzalan, would have been lost in a contemptuous frown. Seldom indeed had she seen a form more interesting than our heroine's. Her mourning habit set off the elegance of her form and the languid delicacy of her complexion, whilst the sad expression of her countenance denoted that habit but the shadow of the unseen grief which dwelt within her soul. Her large blue eyes were half concealed by their long lashes, but the beams which stole from beneath those fringed curtains were full of sweetness and sensibility. Her fine hair, discomposed by the jolting of the carriage and the blowing of the wind, had partly escaped the braid on which it was turned under her hat, and hung in long ringlets, of glossy brown upon her shoulders, and careless curls about her face, giving a sweet simplicity to it, which heightened its beauty. How different was the look she received from Lady Araminta to that she had received from Lady Martha. In the expressive countenance of the former, she read surprise, contempt and anger. Her cheeks were flushed with unusual colour, her eyes sparkled with uncommon lustre, 
and their quick glances pierced the palpitating heart of Amanda, who heard her repeat, as if involuntarily, the name of Donald. Ah, how dreadful was the sound to her ear. Ah, how sad a confirmation did it convey that every suspicion to her prejudice would now be strengthened. Ah, why, why, said she to herself, was I tempted to take this hated name? Why did I not prefer incurring any danger to which my own might have exposed me, rather than assume anything like deceit? Happily, the party were too much engrossed by one another to heed the words or manner of Lady Araminta. Amanda withdrew her hand from Mrs. McQueen and moved tremblingly to her seat. But that lady, with a politeness poor Amanda had reason to think officious, stopped her. Miss Donald, Lord Mortimer, said she. Amanda raised her head but not her eyes, and neither saw nor heard his lordship. The scene she had dreaded was over, and she felt a little relieved at the idea. The haughty glance of Lady Araminta dwelt upon her mind, and when agitation had a little subsided, she stole a look at her and saw Mrs McQueen sitting between her and Lady Martha, and from the altered countenance of the latter, she instantly conjectured she had been informed by her niece of her real name. She also conjectured, from the glances directed towards her, that she was the subject of conversation, and concluded it was begun for the purpose of discovering whether Mrs McQueen knew anything of her real history. From these glances she quickly withdrew her own, and one of the young McQueens, drawing a chair near hers, began a conversation with all that spirit and vivacity which distinguished his family. The mind of Amanda was too much occupied by its concerns to be able to attend to anything foreign to them. She scarcely knew what he said, and when she did reply, it was only by monosyllables. At last a question enforced with peculiar earnestness, roused her from this inattention, and blushing for it, she looked at the young man and perceived him regarding her with something like wonder. She now, for the first time, considered the strange appearance she must make amongst the company. If she did not collect and compose her spirits, the family too, to whom she was, she could not help thinking, so unfortunately introduced from their hospitality, merited attention and respect from her. She resolved, therefore, to struggle with her feelings, and, as an apology for her absent manner, complained, and not without truth, of a headache. Young McQueen, with friendly warmth, said he would acquaint his mother, or one of his sisters, with her indisposition, and procure some remedy for it. But she insisted he should on no account disturb the company, assuring him she would soon be well. She then endeavoured to support a conversation with him. But, ah, how often did she pause in the midst of what she was saying, as the sweet, insinuating voice of Mortimer reached her ear, who, with his native elegance and spirit, was participating in the lively conversation then going forward. In hers with young McQueen, 
she was soon interrupted by his father, who in a good-humoured manner told his son he would no longer suffer him to engross Miss Donald to himself, and desired him to lead her to a chair near his. Young McQueen immediately arose, and taking Amanda's hand, led her to his father, by whom he seated her, and by whom on the other side sat Lady Martha Dormer. Then, with a modest gallantry, declared it was the first time he ever felt reluctance to obey his father's commands, and hoped his ready acquiescence to them would be rewarded with speedy permission to resume his conversation with Miss Donald. Amanda had hitherto prevented her eyes from wandering, though they could not exclude the form of Lord Mortimer. She had not yet seen his face, and still strove to avoid seeing it. Mr McQueen began with various inquiries relative to Mrs Duncan, to which Amanda, as she was prepared for them, answered with a tolerable composure. Suddenly he dropped the subject of his relation, and asked Amanda from what branch of the Donalds she was descended. A question so unexpected, shocked, dismayed and overwhelmed her with confusion. She made no reply till the question was repeated, when, in a low and faltering voice, her face covered with blushes and almost buried in her bosom, she said she did not know. Well, cried he, again changing his discourse, after looking at her a few minutes, I do not know any girl but yourself would take such pains to hide such a pair of eyes as you have. I suppose you are conscious of the mischief they have the power of doing, and therefore it is from compassion to mankind you try to conceal them. Amanda blushed yet more deeply than before at finding her downcast looks were noticed. She turned hers with quickness to Mr McQueen, who having answered a question of Lady Martha's, thus proceeded. And so you do not know from which branch of the Donalds you are descended. Perhaps now you only forget, and if I was to mention them one by one, your memory might be refreshed. But first let me ask your father's surname, and what countrywoman he married, for the Donalds generally married amongst each other. Oh, how forcibly was Amanda at this moment convinced, if indeed her pure soul wanted such conviction, of the pain, the shame of deception, let the motive be what it may, which prompts it. Involuntarily were her eyes turned from Mr McQueen as he paused for a reply to his last question, and at the moment encountered those of Lord Mortimer, who sat directly opposite to her, and with deep attention regarded her, as if anxious to hear how she would extricate herself from the embarrassments her assumed name had plunged her into. Her confusion, her blushes, her too evident distress, were all imputed by Mrs McQueen, to fatigue at listening to such tedious inquiries. She knew her husband's only foible was an eager desire to trace everyone's pedigree. In order, therefore, to relieve Amanda from her present situation, she proposed a party of whist, at which Mr McQueen often amused himself and for which the table and cards were already laid before him. As she took up the cards to hand them to those who were to draw, she whispered Amanda to go over to the tea table. Amanda required no repetition now, 
and thanking Mrs McQueen in her heart for the relief she afforded her, went to the table around which almost all the young people were crowded. So great was the mirth going on amongst them that Miss McQueen, the gravest of the set, in vain called upon her sisters to assist her in serving the trays, which the servants handed about, and Mrs McQueen had more than once called for. Miss McQueen made room for Amanda by herself, and Amanda, anxious to do anything which could keep her from encountering the eyes she dreaded, requested to be employed in assisting her, and was deputed to fill out the coffee. After the first performance of her task, Miss McQueen, in a whispering voice, said to Amanda, Do you know, we are all here, more than half in love with Lord Mortimer. He is certainly very handsome, and his manner is quite as pleasing as his looks, for he has none of the foppery and conceit which handsome men so generally have, and nothing but the knowledge of his engagement could keep us from pulling caps about him. You have heard, to be sure, of Lady Euphrasia Sutherland, the Marquis of Roslyn's daughter. Well, he is going to be married to her immediately. She and the Marquis and the Marchioness were here the other day. She is not to be compared to Lord Mortimer, but she has what will make her be considered very handsome in the eyes of many, namely, a large fortune. They only stopped to breakfast here, and ever since we have been on the watch for the rest of the party, who arrived this morning and were, on Lady Martha's account, whom the journey had fatigued, prevailed on to stay till tomorrow. I am very glad you came while they were here. I think both ladies charming women, and Lady Araminta quite as handsome as her brother. But see, she continued, touching Amanda's arm, the conquering hero comes. Lord Mortimer, with difficulty, made his way round the table, and accepted a seat by Miss McQueen, which she eagerly offered him, and which she contrived to procure by sitting closer to Amanda. To her next neighbour, a fine lively girl, Amanda now turned, and entered into conversation with her. But from this, she was soon called by Miss McQueen, requesting her to pour out a cup of coffee for Lord Mortimer. Amanda obeyed, and he rose to receive it. Her hand trembled as she presented it. She looked not in his face, but she thought his hand was not quite steady. She saw him lay the cup on the table and bend his eyes to the ground. She heard Miss McQueen address him twice ere she received an answer, and then it was so abrupt that it seemed the effect of sudden recollection. Miss McQueen now grew almost as inattentive to the table as her sisters, and Mrs McQueen was obliged to come over to know what they were all about. At length, the business of the tea-table was declared over, and almost at the same moment the sound of a violin was heard from an adjoining room, playing an English country dance in which style of dancing the McQueens had been instructed in Edinburgh, and chose this evening in compliment to their guests. The music was a signal for universal motion. All in a moment was bustle and confusion. The young men instantly selected their partners, who seemed ready to dance from one room to another. The young McQueen, who had been so assiduous about Amanda, now came 
and taking her hand as if her dancing was a thing, of course, was leading her after the rest of the party, when she drew back, declaring she could not dance. Surprised and disappointed, he stood looking on her in silence, as if irresolute whether he should not attempt to change her resolution. At last he spoke, and requested she would not mortify him by refusal. Mrs McQueen, hearing her son's request, came forward and joined it. Amanda pleaded her headache. Do, my dear, said Mrs McQueen, try one dance. My girls will tell you dancing is a sovereign remedy for everything. It was painful to Amanda to refuse, but scarcely able to stand, she was utterly unable to dance, had even her strength permitted her so to do. She could not have supported the idea of mingling in the set with Lord Mortimer, the glance of whose eye she never caught without a throb in her heart, which shook her whole frame. One of the Miss McQueens ran into the room exclaiming, Lord Colin, what are you about? Lord Mortimer and my sister have already led off. Do pray make haste and join us. And away she ran again. Let me no longer detain you said Amanda, withdrawing her hand. Young McQueen, finding her inflexible, at length went off to seek a partner. He was as fond of dancing as his sisters, and feared he should not procure one. But luckily there were fewer gentlemen than ladies present, and a lady having stood up with his youngest sister, he easily prevailed on her to change her partner. We will go into the dancing room, if you please, said Mrs McQueen to Amanda. That will amuse without fatiguing you. Amanda would rather not have gone, but she could not say no, and they proceeded to it. Lord Mortimer had just concluded the dance, and was standing near the door in a pensive attitude. Miss McQueen, being too much engrossed by something she was saying to the young lady next to her, to mind him. The moment he perceived Amanda enter, he again approached his partner, and began chatting in a lively manner to her. Amanda and Mrs McQueen sat down together, and in listening to the conversation of that lady, Amanda found herself insensibly drawn from a too painful attention to surrounding objects. On expressing the pleasure which a mind of sensibility must feel on witnessing such family happiness as Mrs McQueen possessed, that lady said she had reason indeed to be grateful to heaven and was truly so for her domestic comfort. You see us now, she continued, in our gayest season, because of my son's company, but we are seldom dull. Though summer is delightful, we never think the winter tedious. Yet, though we love amusement, I assure you we dislike dissipation. The mornings are appropriated to business, and the evenings to recreation. All the work of the family goes through the hands of my daughters, and they wear nothing ornamental which they do not make themselves. Assisted by their good neighbours, they are enabled to diversify their amusements. The dance succeeds the concert, sometimes small plays, and now and then little dramatic entertainments. About two years ago they performed The Winter's Tale. Their poor father was not then in his present situation. Mrs McQueen sighed, paused a minute and then proceeded. Time must take something from us, but I should and do bless with heartfelt gratitude 
the power which only by its stealing hand has made me feel the lot of human nature. Mr. McQueen, continued she, at the time I mentioned, was full of spirits, and performed the part of Autolycus. They made me take the character of the good Paulina. By thus mixing in the amusement of our children, we have added to their love and reverence, perfect confidence and esteem, and find when our presence is wanting, the diversion, let it be what it may, wants something to render it complete. They are now about acting the gentle shepherd. Several rehearsals have already taken place in our great barn, which is the theatre. On these occasions one of my sons leads the band, another paints the scenes, and Colin, your rejected partner, acts the part of prompter. Hear this conversation, so pleasing to Amanda and interesting to Mrs McQueen, was interrupted by a message from the drawing-room. To inform the latter, the rubber was over and a new set wanted to cut in. I will return as soon as possible, said Mrs McQueen, as she was quitting her seat. If Amanda had not dreaded the looks of Lady Martha, almost as much as those of Lord Mortimer or Lady Araminta, she would have followed her to the drawing-room. As this was the case, she resolved on remaining in her present situation. It was some time ere she was observed by the young McQueens. At last Miss McQueen came over to her. I declare, said she, you look so sad and solitary. I wish you could be prevailed on to dance. Do try this. It is a very fine, lively one. And take Flora for your partner, who, you see, has sat in a corner quite discomposed since she lost her partner. And by the next set, Colin will be disengaged. Amanda declared she could not dance, and Miss McQueen, being called to her place at the instant, she was again left to herself. Miss McQueen, however, continued to come and chat with her whenever she could do so without losing any part of the dance. At last Lord Mortimer followed her. The eyes of Amanda were involuntarily bent to the ground when she saw him approach. You are an absolute runaway, cried he to Miss McQueen. How do you suppose I will excuse your frequent desertions? Why, Miss Donald is so lonely, said she. See, cried he with quickness, your sister beckons you to her. Suffer me, taking her hand, to lead you to her. Amanda looked up as they moved from her, and saw Lord Mortimer's head half turned back. But the instant she perceived him, he averted it, and took no further notice of her. When the set was finished, Miss McQueen returned to Amanda and was followed by some of her brothers and sisters. Some of the gentlemen also approached Amanda and requested the honour of her hand, but she was steady in refusing all. Rich wines, sweet meats and warm lemonade were now handed about in profusion and the strains of the violin were succeeded by those of the bagpipe played by the family musician. Venerable in his appearance, and habited in the ancient Highland dress, with as much satisfaction to himself as to his Scotch auditors, he played a lively Scotch reel, which in a moment brought two of the Miss McQueens and two gentlemen forward, and they continued the dance, 
till politeness induced them to stop, that one might be begun in which the rest of the party could join. Dancing continued in this manner with little intermission, but whenever there was an interval, the young McQueen's paid every attention to Amanda, and on her expressing her admiration of the Scotch music, made it a point that she should mention some favourite airs, that they might be played for her. But these airs, the lively dances, the animated conversation, and the friendly attentions paid her, could not remove her dejection, and with truth they might have said, that nothing could a charm impart to soothe the stranger's woe. The entrance of Mrs McQueen was the signal for the dance being ended. She made the young people sit down to refresh themselves before supper, and apologised to Amanda for not returning to her, but said Lady Martha Dormer had engaged her in a conversation which she could not interrupt. At last they were summoned to supper, which, on Mr McQueen's account, was laid out in a room on the same floor. Thither, without ceremony, whoever was next the door first proceeded. Mr McQueen was already seated at the table in his armchair, and Lady Martha Dormer on his right hand. The eldest son was deputed to the honours of the foot of the table. The company was chequered, and Amanda found herself between Lord Mortimer and Mr Colin McQueen. And in conversing with the latter, Amanda sought to avoid noticing, or being noticed by Lord Mortimer, and his lordship, by the particular attention which he paid Miss McQueen, who sat on the other side, appeared actuated by the same wish. The sports of the morning had furnished the table with a variety of the choicest wild fowl, and the plenty and beauty of the confectionery denoted at once the hospitable spirit and elegant taste of the mistress of the feast. Gaiety presided at the board, and there was scarcely a tongue, except Amanda's, which did not utter some lively sally. The piper sat in the lobby, and if his strains were not melodious, they were at least cheerful. In the course of supper, Lord Mortimer was compelled to follow the universal example in drinking Amanda's health. Obliged to turn her looks to him, oh, how did her heart shrink at the glance, the expressive glance of his eye, as he pronounced Miss Donald. Unconscious whether she had noticed in the usual manner his distressing compliment, she abruptly turned to young McQueen and addressed some scarcely articulate question to him. The supper things removed, the strains of the piper were silenced, and songs, toasts and sentiments succeeded. Old Mr McQueen set the example by a favourite Scotch air, and then called upon his next neighbour. Between the songs, toasts were called for. At last it came to Lord Mortimer's turn. Amanda suddenly ceased speaking to young McQueen. She saw the glass of Lord Mortimer filled, and in the next moment heard the name of Lady Euphrasia Sutherland. A feeling like wounded pride stole into the soul of Amanda. She did not decline her head as before, and she felt a faint glow upon her cheek. The eyes of Lady Martha and Lady Araminta, she thought, directed to her with an expressive meaning. They think, cried she, to witness mortification and disappointment in my looks, but they shall not. 
if indeed they are capable of enjoying such a triumph, have it. At length she was called upon for a song. She declined the call, but Mr. McQueen declared, except assured she could not sing, she should not be excused. This assurance without a breach of truth she could not give. She did not wish to appear ungrateful to her kind entertainers, or unsocial in the midst of mirth, by refusing what she was told would be pleasing to them and their company. She also wished from a sudden impulse of pride to appear cheerful in those eyes she knew were attentively observing her, and therefore, after a little hesitation, consented to sing. The first song which occurred to her was a little simple but pathetic air which her father used to delight in, and which Lord Mortimer more than once had heard from her. But indeed she could not recollect no song, which at some time or other she had not sung for him. The simple air she had chosen seemed perfectly adapted to her soft voice, whose modulations were inexpressibly affecting. She had proceeded through half the second verse, when her voice began to falter. The attention of the company became, if possible, more fixed, but it was a vain attention. No rich strain of melody repaid it, for the voice of the songstress had suddenly ceased. Mrs McQueen, with the delicacy of a susceptible mind, feared increasing her emotion by noticing it, and with a glance of her expressive eye, directed her company to silence. Amanda's eyes were bent to the ground. Suddenly a glass of water was presented to her by a trembling hand, by the hand of Mortimer himself. She declined it with a motion of hers, and reviving a little raised her head. Young McQueen then gave her an entreating whisper to finish the song. She thought it would look like affectation to require further solicitation, and faintly smiling, again began in strains of liquid melody, strains that seemed to breathe the very spirit of sensibility, and came over each attentive ear. Like a sweet sound that breathes upon a bank of violets, stealing and giving odour. The plaudits she received from her singing gave to her cheeks such a faint tinge of red as is seen in the bosom of the wild rose. She was now authorised to call for a song, and as if doomed to experience cause for agitation, Lord Mortimer was the person from whom, in the rotation of the table, she was to claim it. Thrice she was requested to do this ere she could obey. At last she raised her eyes to his face, which was now turned towards her, and saw in it a confusion equal to that she herself trembled under. Pale and red by turns, he appeared to her to wait in painful agitation for the sound of her voice. Her lips moved, but she could not articulate a word. Lord Mortimer bowed, as if he had heard what they would have said and then turning abruptly to Miss McQueen, began speaking to her. Come, come, my lord, said Mr McQueen, we must not be put off in this manner. Lord Mortimer laughed and attempted to rally the old gentleman, but he seemed unequal to the attempt, for, with a sudden seriousness, he declared his inability of complying with the present demand. 
All farther solicitation on the subject was immediately dropped. In the round of toasts, they forgot not to call upon Amanda for one. If she had listened attentively when Lord Mortimer was about giving one, no less attentively did he now listen to her. She hesitated a moment and then gave Sir Charles Bingley. After the toast had passed, Sir Charles Bingley repeated Miss McQueen, leaning forward and speaking across Lord Mortimer. Oh, I recollect him very well. His regiment was quartered about two years ago at a little fort, some distance from this, and I remember his coming with a shooting party to the mountains and sleeping one night here. We had a delightful dance that evening and all thought him a charming young man. Pray, are you well acquainted with him? Yes, no, replied Amanda. Ah, I believe you are sly, girl, cried Miss McQueen, laughing. Pray, my lord, does not that blush declare Miss Donald guilty? We are not always to judge from the countenance, said he, darting a penetrating, yet quickly withdrawn glance at Amanda. Experience, continued he, daily proves how little dependence is to be placed on it. Amanda turned hastily away and pretended by speaking to young McQueen not to notice a speech she knew directly pointed at her. For often had Lord Mortimer declared that in the lineaments of the human face divine, each passion of the soul might be well traced. Miss McQueen laughed and said she always judged of the countenance and that her likings and dislikings were always the effects of first sight. The company broke up soon after this, and much earlier than their usual hour, on account of the travellers, all but those then immediately belonging to the family having departed. Some maids of the house appeared, to show the ladies to their respective chambers. Lady Martha and Lady Araminta retired first. Amanda was following them, when Miss McQueen detained her to try and prevail on her to stay two or three days along with them. The Miss McQueens joined their mother, but Amanda assured them she could not comply with their request, though she felt with gratitude its friendly warmth. Old Mr McQueen had had his chair turned to the fire, and his sons and Lord Mortimer were surrounding it. Well, well, said he, calling Amanda to him and taking her hand. If you will not stay with us now, remember on your return, we shall lay an embargo on you. In the meantime, I shall not lose the privilege which my being an old married man gives me. So saying, he gently pulled Amanda to him and kissed her cheek. She could only smile at this innocent freedom, but she attempted to withdraw her hand to retire. Now, said Mr McQueen, still detaining it. Are all those young men half mad with envy? The young McQueens joined in their father's gallantry and not a tongue was silent except Lord Mortimer's. His head rested on his hand and the cornice of the chimney supported his arm. His hair, from which the dancing had almost shaken all the powder, hung negligently about his face and added to its paleness and sudden dejection. One of the young McQueens turning from his brothers, who were yet continuing their mirth with their father, addressed some question to his lordship, but received no answer.
Again he repeated it. Lord Mortimer then suddenly started, as if from a profound reverie, and apologised for his absence. Aye, ah, my lord, exclaimed old Mr McQueen jocosely. We may all guess where your lordship was then travelling in idea, a little beyond the mountains, I fancy. Aye, we all know where your heart and your treasure now lie. Do you? said Lord Mortimer, with a tone of deep dejection, and a heavy sigh, with an air also, which seemed to declare him scarcely conscious of what he said. He recollected himself, however, at the instant, and began rallying himself as the surest means of preventing others doing so. The scene was too painful to Amanda. She hastily withdrew her hand, and faintly wishing the party a good night, went out to the maid, who was waiting for her in the lobby and was conducted to her room. She dismissed the servant at the door, and throwing herself into a chair, availed herself of solitude to give vent to the tears whose painful suppression had so long tortured her heart. She had not sat long in this situation when she heard a gentle tap at the door. She started, and believing it to be one of the Miss McQueen's, hastily wiped away her tears and opened the door. A female stranger appeared at it, whose curtsying respectfully said, Lady Martha Dormer, her lady, desired to see Miss Donald for a few minutes, if not inconvenient to her. See me, repeated Amanda, with the utmost surprise. Can it be possible? She suddenly checked herself, and said she would attend her ladyship immediately. She accordingly followed the maid, a variety of strange ideas crowding upon her mind. Her conductress retired as she shut the door of the room into which she showed Amanda. It was a small antechamber adjoining the apartment Lady Martha was to lie in. Here, with increasing surprise, she beheld Lord Mortimer pacing the room in an agitated manner. His back was to the door as she entered, but he turned round with quickness approached, looked on her a few moments, then striking his hand suddenly against his forehead, turned from her with an air of distraction. End of chapter 49, part 1